This is the last Sunday of Lent, which means that next Sunday is a big Sunday for us. We're going to celebrate in special ways next Sunday because we remember that this Jesus that we follow, this Jesus that we proclaim, though he was crucified, he is alive today. That's good news. Amen? Amen. 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 And so we uh, are going to celebrate that next Sunday, but we're also going to celebrate some of that news today as well. I do want to prepare you for next week a little bit. <clears throat> I just want to give you a few uh, bits and pieces of encouragement, advice, if I could. A few thoughts about next Sunday. One, be inviting to some people. In your worship program, you see this uh, color insert. You can take that and share that with somebody that you go to school with, somebody you work with, somebody in your neighborhood, hopefully somebody you already have a relationship with. They may already have a church home. That's fine. Uh, they may just need a special invite. And so we know that some people like to go to church on Easter uh, some people like to dress up on that day. Some people like to really eat well on that day. But you can invite them here. I'm going to ask you, though, if you invite them here, do not, please, just invite them to this building and then ignore them. All right? All right? Invite them here and then sit with them. Take them with you to the reception. You don't have to take them to the bathroom, but you know, you can show them where that is and things like this. But whoever you invite, hang out with them because, frankly, this building and these people can be a little scary. So invite your friends with you and then hang out with them next week. Not if you understand what I'm talking about, okay? And plus, I'll also know that you're awake. Okay, good. Secondly, regarding next week, let's be welcoming, all right? Some people say that we as a church are welcoming, even though we are afraid of strangers at times or introverts, whatever it might be. Well, we can be a friendly church at times. And so next week especially, try to be friendly. I'm going to ask you to say hi and introduce yourself to one more person than you typically do on a regular Sunday. So if that is, I never introduce myself to anybody, then next Sunday, introduce yourself to one person, all right? You may find out they already go to church here. That's fine. But next week, would you introduce yourself to one more person than you typically would? Would you just nod your head if you understand, okay, be welcoming. Okay, okay, I got that. All right. Lastly, parking. Let's talk about parking. Okay, last week I told you that we can park in this lot. We actually own it, the one that says Teen Challenge Thrift Store. We can park over there because when people get here, it's like, I think this is part of the church or this. And so park over there. Park a little farther away than you would usually park. All right, so if you're looking for the best spot on a Sunday morning, just go a little farther and say, I'm going to let a guest have a better spot and so some of you, I noticed already today, are parking over there a little more. Do you understand we need some help with parking next week? Just nod if, okay, all right. You're like, man, that was tough. I got to invite people, welcome people, and park farther away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we want to make next Sunday as good of an experience as possible for those who might uh, be guests with us. Well, today is a big day. I mean, next Sunday is, but today is a big day because God wants to speak to you today. All right, I, you might be thinking about next week and ham, you know, and, and things like this and hanging out with family, but today's a big day because God wants to speak to you today, right where you're at. 
And as we open the Bible here, I'm going to share a passage with you that uh, as I was reading this recently, it just blew me away. I was like, okay, Lord, I have to share this. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you, we're going to be on page 878. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the New Testament. Starting in January, we looked at Matthew, one of Jesus' followers, talking about the life of Jesus. Then we looked at Mark's account, and now we're in Luke's account. And there's a lot of similarities in this. There are a few differences here and there. But today I want to show you a passage that I believe that God was speaking to me, and he still is speaking to me. And he was whispering these words to me even after I finished first service. And I'm confident as you read them today, and if you would allow God to speak to you, you will hear great words as well. This passage that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 19 today, it's a passage that, frankly, a lot of churches around the world might be drawing from. Because today, if next week is special, today is also special in that throughout the world they call this day Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. In Luke chapter 19, we read about what's going on, why they would call today Palm Sunday. Fascinating story with deep implications for even us today. So the Sunday before Jesus was crucified, he entered the city of Jerusalem. He's going into Jerusalem, and he's riding on a donkey. Now, if the king came in to a city and he wanted to show that he was at war, he would ride on a horse. If he came in peace, he would show he's riding on a donkey. Jesus comes in to a city riding on a donkey. And people start laying palm branches in front of Jesus, as if to say, the king is coming. So here they are. He's going into the city on a donkey, and they're saying, this is the king. We've watched him for three years. He's done amazing things. He's taught about God. We believe he's the king, and we're just acknowledging him as such. And as Jesus entered Jerusalem, there were a lot of Jewish people in the city, more than normal, because this was a special week in the life of the Jewish people. They would go to Jerusalem every year around this time because this coming Sunday for them, or this Sunday where they were laying the palms, this was the Sunday prior to Passover. Would you write this word down? This was the Sunday prior to Passover. Hey, it was crazy in Jerusalem, too, that Sunday. I mean, babies were crying, and, you know, that's all fine. And Jesus says, hey, we know that this week's coming up a big week. And it was for the Jewish people. They're having this annual celebration in Jerusalem, and so the city is exceedingly full. They're getting ready for this annual celebration. Let me explain real briefly what Passover is for you, what they were celebrating as Jesus was entering the city. They went back in their history to about 1600 B.C., 1600 years before Christ was born. You can read about this in Exodus chapter 12. Don't do it right now, but this week, go ahead and do yourself a favor. Read Exodus chapter 12, especially in light of Friday night when we gather here for our Good Friday service. The nation of Israel, you see, had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Imagine that. Our, his, our country's history, 200 plus years the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 
And God had spoke to a man named Moses, and God said, I've got a plan for a rescue. Moses, I'm going to rescue the nation of Israel out of Egypt. I'm going to pronounce judgment on the false gods of Egypt. And the rescue that will take place will involve a lamb. A lamb. That's not your typical method for rescue, is it? If you're going to rescue people, there are probably different ways to do this. God uses a lamb. It's kind of a weird thought. I understand that. I'll acknowledge that this seems a little weird. The Israelites are told, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a lamb per family, and you're going to sacrifice this lamb. You're going to take the blood of the lamb. This is kind of gross. And I want you to put it on the door frames of your house. You stay in your house. And when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over your house and not bring judgment to your family, but I will bring judgment on all the Egyptians who have these false gods, and I will show that I am the one true God. And so if you would believe this, God is saying, if you believe that I'm the rescuer, I will pass over your house and not bring judgment. And so this plan is going to involve a lamb. This plan is going to involve God's power. And this plan will involve your faith. You have to believe that my way is going to save you. I wonder if there are some people saying, this sounds a little crazy. It is crazy, but God says it's going to involve a lamb, and it's going to involve my power, but it's going to involve your faith in your rescue. And as the story goes, the Israelites were desperate. They're like, okay, we've been slaves for a long time. There's so much oppression. We're desperate. We'll do whatever God says at this point. Maybe you've been there in your life where you said, I am so desperate. My way has not worked. I'm going to trust God. It seems a little weird, but I'm going to trust his way. The Israelites got to this point. They trusted God. He passed over their houses. No judgment on them. They lived. He struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians as part of his judgment on them. And before long, the Israelites were freed from Egypt's oppression. Again, you can read this in the book of Exodus. But each year, I say all this because each year this story was remembered and celebrated. Every year the Jewish people would go to Jerusalem and they would remember this story. Back in our history, when we were slaves, God rescued our people. God did this with a lamb. He did this with mighty power. He did this with our belief. And they would remember this story every single year to the point that there are people around the world of Jewish descent that will remember this this week. They will gather together and say, I remember way back when God has rescued our people. And he promised to rescue us again, but even in greater ways. Now, this is important for us because what's happening at Palm Sunday is these people are saying, Jesus, we believe you're the king. And we know that God has rescued before. We think you're the one who's going to rescue us again. Now go to Luke chapter 19, verse 36. Follow along as I read a few verses here. And as he, that is Jesus, rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice 
for all the mighty works that they had seen the past three years. They were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If I could sum this up in one statement, they were saying this, praise to the one who brings peace. We're so excited. We're praising you, Jesus. We're paying homage to you because you're going to bring peace. You're going to fix the problems we've had. You've got to understand, the Jewish people, they're living in Jerusalem, but they are part of the Roman Empire. They are really, uh, they belong to Rome. Rome says to do this or that, they have to do this. They pay their taxes to Rome. And they're thinking, Jesus, we've heard this story before where you've freed our people from oppression, from uh, bad government. We think you're going to do this again. And they start shouting praise to the one who's going to bring peace. They started saying things like this. Jesus, we've seen you do amazing things in the last three years. <laughs> we've seen you heal people, and we can't wait till you heal our nation. This is going to be so good. And we know that you're God's anointed man. No one could be doing all the things you've been doing unless God were with him. We thank you that you're going to do all this, Jesus. Woo! And we can't wait till the Romans are kicked out. We get to have our own government. We get to be our own nation. We're going to have national peace and tranquility. So praise be to the one who gives us peace. Woo! We're so excited for you, Jesus. Now, this is what the people were saying, and we read this in Luke. I want to show you some other words, not recorded in Luke's story, but Matthew records this, and Mark records this, and John records that they also said some other words. And one of the phrases they used was this phrase, Hosanna. They said, Hosanna. Let me explain this. It's an interjection. It's saying, saving is here. It's a plea. It's a cry for help. It's saying, save us. And as Jesus comes into the city, and the city is crowded with people like crazy, they're saying, we think you're the king. Hosanna, save us. You're the one. Woohoo! We're glad you're coming into town, baby. This is what they're saying. Maybe not exactly like that, but that's the, the spirit of what they're saying. Peace comes from this Jesus who saves us from our problems. You and I kind of talk like that at times too, right? We say, Jesus, man, we, we're so thankful that you save us from our problems. Sometimes you write on your connection card, you put in the joy box, we're grateful for this, and you say, I just want to praise God because he saved me from the test that I had to take or the test at the doctor's office or whatever it is. I just want to give praise to God because he saved me in that specific instance. It's right for us to do that, and I thank you for doing that. Some of you write on your cards and you say, God, uh, would you please save me? Would you please help me? And we pray with you. God, would you be a savior and, and bail them out of this situation that they're in? Jesus, though, as he hears this from the people that day, he knew that they were missing the big idea. They were saying, save us. They were saying, save us from Rome. We can't wait. But he knows in his heart they're missing the biggest idea. They want saving from bad government, but that's not why 
I'm coming. It wasn't going to be a rescue of Roman oppression. It was going to be a rescue from a greater oppressor than that. It was the oppressor of sin. And it wasn't just for those people that day some 2,000 years ago. He was also thinking of us and said, I am going to save these people not from just bad government, but I'm going to save these people from what every single human has been infected with, and this is sin. He was even thinking of us. And so he was having a rescue who was going to save uh, free slaves from sin, you and me. He was going to rescue, and it would take blood from a lamb, but this time it was going to take blood from the Lamb of God, specifically himself. It would be his blood. It was going to be his work on the cross that if we would believe in it, would save us. Go to verse 41, if you would. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city says he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. There's this phrase that just popped out to me and spoke to my heart initially when I read this, If you only knew what made for peace. Jesus spoke to the people and said, If you only knew what made for peace. He wept when he thought about the city. As he looked out, this isn't just a tear. He's weeping. We know that he wept when he lost a good friend named Lazarus. Lazarus had died, and it said Jesus wept. This time he's looking over the city, and he's weeping because he says, you you just don't understand what brings you peace. You think if I solve your problem right here and now that everything will be good? You don't understand. And it breaks my heart that you don't understand what truly brings peace. When I read that recently, I just, oh my. Sometimes I don't know what brings me peace. I just think solve this problem, this problem, and this problem, and everything will be all right. And Jesus says, man, there's deeper issues that I want to bring healing to. So Jesus wept as he considered this group of people that don't understand what truly brought peace. And so let's take a moment this morning and talk about what peace is. Let's write down this word, if you would. Peace, also known as shalom, is what Jesus is talking about here. He says this great idea of shalom, peace, it's not just a fixing of an immediate situation, but it's much deeper than that for all of us. They were saying it's bad government that's our problem. Jesus, if you come in and kick the Romans out, whoo, everything's going to be good for us. He says, no, you don't understand. It's not national peace that you need. That's not my end game for you. Again, sometimes we think like that. We say, God, give me peace in this situation. God, would you fix this 
aching body, this aging body, this dying body. We pray this for ourselves. We pray this for other loved ones. God, if you would fix this, then everything's going to be all right in my life. And he says, well, I've actually got a bigger picture in mind than just your physical body right now. Sometimes then we, God, would you fix my relationship with this person or that person? God, because if you fix this, then everything in my life is good. Just fix this bad relationship. And he says, I might fix it, but you need deeper healing than that. Then we hear about Syria and Russia and North Korea. And we say, God, if you'd fix that, then everything is going to be good. I'll be able to sleep at night, fix that problem over there, and everything's good. And he says, you know what? That is a big problem. And I may fix it. I may not. But you actually have a deeper need than that. What about you? What's something maybe you've been asking God? God, would you fix this? And it's not wrong to ask God to fix that. But when you start thinking, if he fixes this, then everything's good. And he might be saying, I've got bigger issues, even in your own heart, that I'm trying to get at. I remember one day, and I've only done this once. I went deep sea fishing just one time. Actually, you know what? I went back a second time now that I say that, but I was totally drugged up, all right? It helped. But I went this one time, and it was miserable. And I remember asking God, God, if you loved me, you would make the ocean smooth because I am feeding these fish to no end. God, please bring peace to my stomach. And he did not. And the ocean kept rocking. I puked myself to sleep. I think he finally did give me peace by just allowing me to sleep. But the storm never stopped. And I think even then, that's been a good illustration I've used for 15 or 20 years. That God said, sometimes I just don't calm those storms. But I'll do something inside your heart and in your mind Like many of you, I have prayed. I asked years ago, I said, God, would you heal my dad of cancer? If you just fix this, then I will have peace. He will have peace. Our family will have peace. And before long, the doctors actually said, cancer's gone. I'm like, whew, everything's perfect now, God. Until the doctor said, actually, cancer's back now. And I would pray again, God, would you heal him of cancer? Because if you fix this, everything's going to be good. And actually, before long, the doctors said the cancer's gone again. But it came back. Until I heard from my own dad, he said, you know what? God is actually doing something in me. My dad had known the Lord, but through cancer, he started to know him in greater ways. Cancer ends up taking his life. But my dad said, oh, I'm starting to learn more about the hope that is truly in Jesus. And I wonder if God all along was saying, you know what? I may or may not heal that cancer, but I'm trying to get at something deeper in each of your hearts. 
And when the people were saying, oh, Jesus, praise be to the one who's going to fix our problems, he says, I'm weeping actually over you because if you only knew what brought you deep peace. And it really has nothing about me kicking out bad government and the Romans. Something greater that I want to do in you. I think you and I, we miss out on this idea. And we say, God, fix this problem, and then everything will be fine. And he says, I may or I may not, but I want to do a greater work in your heart. I want to do a greater work in your relationship with me. I want you to know what is truly peace in your heart and in your mind. For you see, peace is wholeness with God. Would you write this down? The peace that Jesus was talking about is wholeness with God. And he says, this is what every single person needs. The fact that God is going to put you together in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart. It may or may not include your body. (laughs) It's the fact that he holds you together in difficult times. It's that he would grow a relationship with you. That you would understand he wants a deep relationship with you. A greater relationship than you, that you could have with a spouse. He says, I want a deep relationship with you. And this peace, this harmony, it's in our heart, it's in our mind. It comes from God making us whole and healthy completely resting in him. And so it's right for us to call out, Hosanna, save us. God, I've got a problem this coming week. Save me from this. And he might say, yeah, I could do that. I will. But he might also say, you know what? No. I want you to cry out and I want you to see that you have a greater need than that need that you think is your greatest need. It's right for us to call out to God, to cry Hosanna. God, please save us from bad government. We've been saying this for years, right? Okay, God, save us from that. Save us from injustices. That's a good thing to say. But God, all the while, might be saying, I want to give to you peace in your heart, in your mind, And it comes in spite of bad government. I want you to find relationship with me. I want you to find peace with me in spite of all this going around you. You see, he may bring peace that way, but he may not. But wholeness with God may Start. It may start with massive conflicts. We saw some things this week and we were like, oh man, this is scary. It may start with that where it causes us to get on our knees and say, God, you may be returning sooner than I thought. I need you. It's right for us to call out to God and say, Hosanna, save us because of our dying bodies. And whether it's ours or our loved ones, it's right for us to say, God, would you save us? But he may not bring peace in that way. He might not. But wholeness with God, it could start with sickness. It could start with disease. It could start with the death of a loved one. 
and you realize, I need to start trusting in the Lord more. Are you following me? It's right for us to call out to God and say, Hosanna, save us. We know that you're the one who brings saving. Would you fix this hurting relationship? Would you give me peace in this? But peace may not come in that relationship. Wholeness with God may start with fights and hurts where you have to say, actually, God, I love you more than anyone else. And he's trying to get every single one of us there. Because ultimately, God, he's concerned about every part of your life, but he's more concerned about your faith, your eternal faith, than with our temporary bodies. And God does save. He brings about salvation. And you say, oh, God, would you save me? Sometimes he brings that about. He'll do that in small ways, but he will always do that in the greater ways. I want to show you a few passages from Scripture that speak to peace. Ones that you should memorize, that you should put in your head so that you can have his peace, so that you would have in your heart so that you'd have peace. Let me show you this one in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, since we've been justified by faith, we've treated just as if we'd never sinned by our faith. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the idea. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, he looks at you just as if you'd never sinned, righteous in his eyes. What that means then is that you are at peace with God. In other words, you and God are good, all right? You and God are good. How good is that to know that? To put your head down at the end of a night and say, even though my past, oh man, I've done some terrible things. But because of my faith in Jesus, and Jesus taking my punishment, I can sleep and live each day knowing that me and God are good. You might not have that relationship with other people. You've hurt them, and you and that person aren't good. But you and God are good by your faith in Jesus Christ. Can we get an amen to that? Woo! There's peace in that. And he says, this is what peace is. You could walk around and say, though I was an enemy to Jesus, though I have done some gross sins by faith in Christ, I'm at peace with God. Wow. That you would know that. Let me show you another passage found in Isaiah chapter 53. It says this. Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, says this, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Isaiah, looking ahead to Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem, before his crucifixion, says there's going to be this Messiah, and on him is going to be the punishment, the wrath of God, and that's going to bring us peace, a peace with God. It's going to be put all on Jesus. If you would trust him, his punishment's going to bring you peace. This is what we're going to remember Friday night as we gather here. That by God's plan, by Jesus' death, our peace was secured. 
This is why I would invite you Friday night, show up and just marvel in this idea that your peace with God was secured when Christ was crucified. The work was done. It is finished, Jesus said. This brought peace. Jesus says, I'm not going to take it out on you, though I should. I take, I'm going to take it out on my son instead. If you would trust him, all the punishments on him so that you can be at peace with God. Whew. Man, how good is that? Let me show you a couple more passages. John chapter 16. Jesus says this before he goes to the cross. He says, listen, guys, I have said these things. He's, he was talking about the work of the Spirit, and he was talking about joy. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace, that in me you may have wholeness, in me you may have shalom. I want you to know this. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He said, guys, check this out. Life is going to be very difficult on you. He knows that he's going to go to the cross, too. He said this, and they don't understand it. In this world, you're going to have problems. That's a promise straight from Jesus to you and me. Thank you for that one, Jesus. He says, you're going to have problems. But listen, I've told you a lot of things so that you would have peace in what? Your bank account? Peace in your good health? Peace in what? That you would have peace in me. That you'd be related to me. That we'd be talking together. That my life would be in yours. That I would hold you together. I've told you all these things so that your peace would be in me. You're going to have troubles. But take heart. I'm the victorious one. He knows this going into the cross. He says, I know this. I trust my Father. He's going to take care of me, though they're going to crucify me. I know that the Father's going to take care of me. And by victorious Jesus, we have this solid anchor. <laughs> He's like, I, there are going to be a lot of storms. You're going to get blown and tossed around here and there. But there is this anchor in this. He's victorious Jesus. And he's the one where you find peace. I want to show you one more passage found in Isaiah chapter 26. And it says this. You keep God. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God, this is what you do. You keep people in perfect shalom. You keep them in perfect wholeness. Well doesn't feel like it. A lot's going bad in my life. Wait, you keep him in perfect shalom whose mind is stayed on you, whose mind is focused on you. Because here's what happens. We trust in God. So you get sick. You're going through problems. When you trust in God, when you keep your mind focused on him, he keeps you and I intact. That's what peace is. And sometimes we're saying, God, take this little problem away. It could be a big problem. Take this big problem away. And he says, actually, the problem is causing you to trust me. When you trust me, you think of me, you look to me. And when you do that, that's when I keep you in perfect peace. Frankly, if I remove those problems, you forget about me. You don't think about me. You do your own thing. And then actually you're missing out on shalom. Wholeness with God. 
It's right for us to call out to God. It's right for us to say, Hosanna, you are the Savior, or I need saving. Please fix these things. It's right for us to do that. But when we're mindful that God is allowing storms, He is. He is allowing shattered dreams in our lives. He's allowing crucifixions of His own Son. Because out of all of that, He says, I'm working a greater picture It's shalom, it's wholeness in your heart and in your mind. Yesterday, I don't know why, other than just, I I struggle with the same things you struggle with. There were four things that were just bugging me. I told one of my daughters yesterday, I said, there are just four things that are bugging me. And I just feel such unrest. They're kind of small things. And after I shared them to her, she actually laughed at me because they were so small. But I said, if these four things would go right, then I would just feel at peace. I just feel like everything is good in my life if these four things go right. And even as I said this to her, I said, what a fool I am. Because that's really not what brings peace. But I struggled with this. It was like this and this. And I actually tried to fix some of those. I couldn't fix this one, and I couldn't fix this one. I did fix this one. There was one that I could do absolutely nothing about. They were all small things. And I felt as if the Lord is saying, wait a second. Even if you got all four of those, what would you have? You'd have a temporary high And you'd smile right now, but what do you really need, Scott? I just had to have this conversation with God. Okay, what I really need is you. I need connection with you. I need to hear that you love me. I need to hear that I'm accepted by you. I need to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for me. And actually, these four things are just... They're dumb. And God, I think, even allowed those four things to pop up so that I would say, where is my peace coming from? Where is my hope and joy and where's all this coming from? By the end of the day, it was, you know what? I have peace. God is with me. Those three of those four things, they didn't get fixed. They may never get fixed. It really doesn't matter. Because what I got out of it was reassurance of my relationship with God. And when you and I only look to God for the quick fix, we misunderstand what truly gives us peace. And I think Jesus, he would weep and say, if you only knew what gives you peace, if you only knew what brings you peace, that's his heart for us. He says, I want to give you this shalom. I want you to have wholeness with me. I want you to have relationship with me. And what truly brings about peace, what truly brings about shalom, what truly brings about wellness and health is receiving the life that Jesus provides. This is where I had to get even yesterday at the end of the day. This, if I want to experience this, I have to receive the life that Jesus offers to me. And it may be scattered with some crud that I would call crud. But it's receiving his love. It's receiving his forgiveness. It's receiving his purpose. It's just saying, God, you call me a son? I'm a messed up guy. Wow, 
You've forgiven me. You love me. You're including me. You're using me. Woo! And it took receiving that life that Jesus provides. If you go back to the Passover, way back to Egypt, I mean, we're talking 1600 B.C. If you go way back to that, here's the situation again. You would have to believe and trust God and do what he says and have this faith to be passed over, to not have judgment on you. The question was way back then, do you trust God to do the crazy Do you trust God that he's the answer? That's the question even for us today. Do you trust God? You're saying, no, I want this fixed and this fixed. I'm going to try to fix it. I'm going to do all of this. And he says, will you trust me? Will you receive by faith the life that I offer to you? Because if you receive it, I've got rescue for you. If you receive it, I have peace for you. If you receive it, I have shalom, wholeness, to your inner core, in your mind, and in your heart. I have that for you if you'd receive it. And so Jesus, he secured this. And it's available to every single one of us today. Some of you have received this peace. You said, Jesus, I need you. I think some of you just need to receive it again in a special way. And say, I think I find peace if you fix this. And he's like, wait a second, just trust me for everything. Do you? Some of you need to trust and receive this for the very first time. Some of you need to. You say, ah, sounds crazy. I'm just going to do my own thing here and hopefully it's good with God. Listen, it's not. Jesus has paid the way. He is the way to find peace with God. Some of us have just struggled our whole lives thinking, well, it's in a relationship or it's in money or it's in this. It's in Jesus. Amen? Write this down if you would because he's the one who saves us from our sins. Receive that. Receive that gift. And you have peace with God. And many of you have. Remember this, that he saves us from our sin. Secondly, he restores our broken lives. He does this. He restores our broken lives. Would you receive this and not fight against it? Would you receive the help from brothers and sisters? Would you receive the help from him? Desperately call out to him and say, restore this broken life, and he will. Would you receive that gift and find peace? Will you fight against it? Notice this, too, that he includes us into his kingdom's work. He says, not only do I include you in my family, I include you into this work. Receive that. Receive that assignment. It's not just show up to church and be entertained for a bit. No, listen, he's included you into his work. We are all sent ones. We're just having a little huddle here because we're going out into the mission field in a few minutes, right? He's included you into this work. Will you receive that assignment? And in all of this, he pours out his peace. Let me finish by inviting you into this story in greater ways this coming week. Friday and Sunday, I I invite you to join us.
If you're in town, join us. Friday is going to be an opportunity when we gather together on a Friday night, 7 o'clock, and we're going to remember that the punishment that brought us peace was upon this Jesus. Get into this story. I invite you to read. If you haven't been reading lately, just start reading at Luke 19 where we're at here today. Read the next few chapters. Read where Jesus is going. And then join us Sunday morning (laughs) because we're going to celebrate an amazing story. The, The tomb of Jesus was empty. It's still empty. He provides peace, sometimes in small ways, but ultimately in the greatest ways that we would be at peace with God. Hallelujah. Whew. And I hope this week that you'd reflect on this and that you would cry out, Hosanna. I believe you're the Savior. I need you to save. But I'm going to trust that you're ultimately saving in the greatest way imaginable in my life. And he's doing that in every single one of us, if you would receive that. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me and reflect for a moment. Reflect on Jesus coming in on a Sunday like today. Reflect on how you at times say, God, fix this problem for me. And how he might be saying, I might, I might not, but I've got a much bigger picture and it's beautiful and it is for your peace, if you only knew what brought you peace. This breaks my heart as well because I know that I struggle with this. What brings me peace? And when it's not Jesus, it's not true shalom. And Jesus, I thank you that you wept for us. And that you weren't judgmental, but you went to the cross then to secure all this. Wow. So would you help us this week to put ourselves in this story, to ask ourselves, what what am I looking for for peace? Oh, if I only knew what brought me peace. And that we would turn to you, God. Heavenly Father, I marvel at this story. It doesn't get old. It only gets better. I'm only starting to understand it more. And I ask and beg of you that you would save us and help us to understand this story more. That you would help us to know what truly gives us peace. And to know that the answer is you. God, if you would just strip away all the things that we think bring us peace. And I know it's going to be difficult because that means sometimes it will be shattered dreams. It's going to be painful in the process. But the crucifixion was painful. And yet the empty tomb was victorious. 
And so would you give me and my brothers and sisters to the faith to know that when we call out to you and you have our best in mind, it might lead to a cross. It might lead to initial heartache. It may lead to a bunch of tears. But that it ends up with an empty tomb. It ends up with resurrected life. It ends up with victory in you. And so help us this week to call out to you. You are the one who saves. Help us to call out Hosanna. But to know that you truly save by pouring out your shalom to our greatest need. And so we thank you and we love you and we praise you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.